0: I hope that wasn't like your holidays. Yes, this is my voice. Okay. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I hope you had a better Christmas than I did. That's all I can say. Um, it wouldn't take much to do that. Um, we traveled 2,000 miles over the last two weeks, driving in cars to visit kids. We spent—I spent Christmas uh, the day after Christmas in bed, and the next two days after that getting the flu. And I'm still recovering, and that was been over a week and a half ago. So this morning, you're going to have to put up with this, whatever this is. And uh, the other things, in case you ask, uh, yeah, it was all right. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't all right. Christmas was not all right at all. It was, it was chaos. It wasn't quite as chaotic as that, and I hope that your life is not as chaotic as that, but uh, we're going to be talking about that in the next four weeks But for me, Christmas was uh, the day after Christmas. We traveled to Roanoke, Virginia after traveling to Knoxville, Tennessee to visit our kids. And uh, when we got there, uh, the first time in uh, seven years, we figured out that all of my sisters, all three of them, just the three of them, their kids and their kids' kids were all there in my mom and dad's house, all 31 of us. And um, my mom and dad's house is a small ranch kind of like mine. It's not made for 31 people, by the way. And, uh, and we spent that, day. and that's the day I got sick, by the way. And uh, then we all got sick, and my mom and dad are sick, and my dad has, has pneumonia now. So other than that, it was a great Christmas, and uh, glad to be back, and uh, glad to speak. be speaking. I was kind of fear and trembling this morning, not knowing if I was even going to have a voice. And I'll guarantee you, I will not exit greet this morning, okay? No shaking hands, no, none of that stuff. Uh, I'll stay away from you if you'll stay away from me. So, um, we'll, we'll see each other again next week and shake hands and do stuff like that. Okay. 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 This morning, I want to kind of talk about this whole thing of, um, of, um, this, this whole thing of, of breathing room. We're going to be talking about breathing room the next few weeks. And to start off with though, I want to talk about, you know, what kind of life do you live in certain areas? Uh, so we've got some pictures, uh, the first picture there, you got the first slide. Is it up? There? Oh, it's up there already. Okay. Okay, some of you, I'm going to have some contrast here. and Don't raise your hand because you'll embarrass yourself. Um, uh, does that look more like your home office or does this look like more like your home office? The next picture. Go to the next one. Yeah. Does that look more like it? I had some really bad ones. That's not really bad. That's kind of mediocre. Okay? Okay. Or does this go to the next slide? Does this, this more like, look like your, the place you live? Or does this look like the place you live? Um. Or, let me go to the next one. Does this look like your garage? Or does this look like your garage? Uh, and there's one more, one more comparison here. Does that look like your closet? Or does that look like your closet? I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what kind of person you are. That's why I get you to raise your hands. Because I'm one of those people that feel, thinks that, that cleanliness is next to Godliness. Uh, I'm always in the pictures. My, my office is the neatest office in there. Just, I guarantee you go look and see. Um, I, I'm the kind of person when I work, I have to make sure my workspace is clean before I start. You know, I want everything organized and in place. I feel like I'm just messed up if I don't. Uh, now, I'm not saying that, that the other way is is totally, if you're disorganized and have clutter around, that there's anything wrong with that. That's just a choice you make, okay? That is a choice you make. But... Um, and we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks, not about closets and not about clutter, but we're going to talk about that. That's all right if it's all right if, if you have that clutter in your closet, if you have it in your garage, or if you have it in your, you know, in your, in your bathroom or bedroom or something like that. If that's the way you want to live, that's fine. It's up to you, okay? But what I will say is this, I believe that we're going to talk about it's not okay for your life to look like one of those messy places. Those places where things are full of stuff and it's not okay for your schedule to look like this. It's not okay for your finances to look cluttered. It's not okay uh, when there's no room for error in anything in your life because you've squeezed everything in and there's no discretionary dollars. And there's no room for error financially. It's not okay for relationships to look like this to where everybody is so busy that you cram so much into your schedule that you get to the point where you really don't even enjoy any of the stuff you do. Uh, for me, that was Christmas. It was like, just let's just see how, much, how many people we can visit at the same time. It wasn't fun. It really wasn't very much fun. Uh, or, or, or you got so many things in your schedule now that your kids can't enjoy life because they, they run from one thing to another thing to another thing in 100 different directions. And the interesting thing I found about this in preparing for the series is this, is we're going to discover, believe it or not, God has a lot to say about this. He has a lot to say. Now, don't look up in your, you know, don't do a Google search in your Bible for breathing room or for margin, you won't find it. Uh, But we're going to talk about some things over the next few weeks that really deal with this because God doesn't want us to live in this kind of chaotic life where everything is just kind of like... Uh, we have to pl- 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 cram our schedules and, our, and, our, and everything full in our lives. So we're going to discover what God has to say. The, one of the first verses I thought about was when I was looking at this, this is in Luke 10. Uh, Luke 10 says this. It's a story about two ladies in Scripture we all probably familiar with, Mary and Martha. And it says this about them. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister named Mary. And this is what Mary did. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But then it says this interesting thing that says, But Martha, what was she? She was distracted by all the preparations, by all the preparations they had to be made. You know, the interesting thing about it here is two ladies, and they made two choices. And this is the thing we're going to learn in this series we have choices in life to make. And the choices we choose about how we're going to spend our time and our resources are ours to make. And you're saying, well, no. I can't. You, no, yes, you do. You have choices. You have choices to make. And Mary and Martha had a choice. Here was Jesus, the Son of God, coming to their house. And you could either choose to spend time with the Son of God or you could choose to do all the other stuff like Martha did, the distractions. And what were the distractions? They weren't bad things, were they? It said, you know, basically uh, uh, she was going around. She was fixing up the house. I mean, some of you at Christmas, you spent so much time getting ready for people to show up. You didn't even enjoy any of the time you had with them, right? I mean, because you had to have everything right. The napkins had to be right and the plates had to be right. And, and I don't think anybody even uses china anymore. But, uh, I mean, everything had to be right, you know, in your house. And so you spent so much time getting everything right that you just totally missed, missed the whole thing of the relationships that was, because it isn't it about the relationships? That's why you're spending time together during the holidays. It's about the relationships. It's not about how everything looks and the food being perfect and everything in that way. But so often, that was what was happening here with Martha though. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Then it says this. Uh, she came to him, to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do by the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to hear that now. Mary has chosen what is better. What she chose to do is the thing, the one thing that's most important. And that is focusing her attention upon the one thing that was right in front of her and building a relationship with God. I mean, what what do we say in Scripture that God has called us to do? What is the great great commandment? Love God. Love people. Did he ever say anywhere, make lots of money, make everything perfect, do this, do that, keep your schedule crazy, try it all, do it all? No. He said "That's, that's our focus, that's our purpose in life. He says Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, the problem is Mary had, uh, Martha had the problem that so many of us have in life is she was distracted by doing too many things. She was distracted. She has no, no breathing room in her life, no place where she could and enjoy Jesus. She missed out on the greatest opportunity that any of us could ever have. I mean, face-to-face with Jesus because she didn't understand what was important. See, breathing room is this. Breathing room is... Is, is, is the fact that you don't have to drive 80 miles per hour everywhere because you get to places early. <laughs> Sunday morning at Great Oaks. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, breathing room is that you actually have time to talk to people in your family. Breathing room is you have dinner around the table on a regular basis. Breathing room is there's actually money at the end of the month. Let me say that real slow so you understand what I have said. Breathing room is when you have money at the end of the month, okay? Breathing room is, all, is you actually enjoy all the things you're doing because you're not doing all the things you could do and you're not doing all the things that everybody else is doing. Breathing room is, is being able to show up in a small group and concentrate on what you're talking about and the relationships that are there because you're not distracted by all the things that have not gotten done. Breathing room is being able to come to church and to actually focus your attention because you're not distracted and thinking about what you got to do this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day. Breathing room is being able to pray and actually focus on what you're praying about because your mind isn't so distracted by all the things that have jammed into your schedule and the things that are waiting to be done. Life is better with breathing room. I think you all know that. So let me give you a definition of breathing room from this series. Uh, Andy Stanley uh, did a series about this. Got the idea. He did a book a few years ago. Uh, it's one of my favorite books of all time. We're going to talk about that the, the last week of this series uh, called Choosing to Cheat. Uh, choosing to Cheat, yeah, that's the name of the book. Uh, but it's about the whole thing of how do we, we're always choosing to cheat something in our life. And what are you going to choose to cheat? Uh, is it going to be the right things uh, like Mar- Mary did or the wrong things like Martha did? Are you going, what are you going to choose? Breathing room is this, the space between our current pace and our limits. The space between our current pace and our limits. Um, breathing room is a space, the distance between our current pace financially, our, our current pace with our schedule, or our current pace relationally, the sort of three areas I want to talk about over the next few weeks. These are the three areas I want to camp out on. Breathing rooms, the space between our current pace, how hard charging, uh, how much money we're spending, how well we're relating, and our limits, the, the place to where we get to where we just feel stressed to the max. And that's not where God wants us to be. The problem is in our attempt to get the most out of life, so often we lose, we lose control of our life. In our attempt to make as much progress as possible, what happens is you trade your peace in for progress, and you trade your peace in for prosperity, and there's an adrenaline rush, and some of us are adrenaline junkies, and so we love that, but the problem is it doesn't work. And and, and there are a couple of things happens in our life as well, and we know this to be true as well. I'm just pointing out stuff that we already know. But one of the things, a couple of things that happen, when your breathing room decreases, when you don't have space between any financial margin in your life, any relational margin in your life, any time margin in your life, some of the things that happens when your breathing room decreases, number one, your stress increases. Your stress increases. I mean, how often? When we have no financial margin, this is a very obvious one obvious thing in our life, and, and we have a problem in life, or something that happens out of the ordinary, does it put stress on our life? How often do we find ourselves arguing in our relationships about money because we have no financial margin, because we live to the extent of our income instead of, or sometimes beyond that, instead of, instead of having margin in our life, we're going to talk about that. A second thing that happens when our breathing room decreases is your relational intimacy decreases. Your relational intimacy decreases. One of the things that happens in our life when, when, we, have this, when we have no breathing room in our life, relationally we have no time, we, just, we, just, we take for granted our relationships and we just run through life. And we don't spend time talking to one another or communicating with one another. Have you ever tried to plan dinner for 31 people? Can you imagine the chaos that ensued in my household uh, on uh, last uh, Friday, two Fridays ago? When, uh, when we all got together and we all had food, we all got together, but nobody had talked to one another. We all came from multitudes, from directions, you know. And we had this kind of, that's kind of like households sometimes, though. We just kind of show up at a place. And we've not discussed, we've not talked about anything, and so it raises the stress level in our relational intimacy and, there's, and miscommunication and all kinds of things happen, so relational intimacy decreases when, when breathing room decreases as well. And the question is this, though, and this is what we're going to talk about the rest of the time today, why? Why is that true? What drives this? What drives this This? This? This insane thing where we feel like we have to do it all, we have to have it all, and we have to do it all, all the time. What drives this? And I'll tell you what drives this. It's really easy to see in Scripture. And it's easy to see in life as well. It's called fear. Fear. You're going, no, I'm not afraid, you know. I, we do, but I'll tell you this, because when, some, when I say, some, say to somebody, and they come into my office, and they sit down, and they talk to me, and, and I say, you know, um, well, you know, one of the problems is that, that you're so stressed out. It's because you're doing too many things. And the first thing they'll say is, well, I'm afraid if I don't. I'm afraid if I don't. And that's the way the conversation always starts. We're afraid of many things. Number one, we're afraid of, we have this fear of missing out. We have this fear of missing out. We have this fear that, that, if, that if I don't, in a real sense, what, if I don't try it or do it, then I'm going to miss out on something in life. We have another fear. We have a fear, and I think this is guys a lot, but women can be the same way. We have a fear of falling behind. A fear of falling behind. Well, if I don't stay at the same level, if I don't keep pushing, 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 what's going to happen is I'm going to fall behind in the workplace or I'm going to fall behind in the community and people won't look at me the same way. We have this fear of falling behind. Another fear we have is a fear of not mattering. A fear of not mattering. I know this is true in my own life. We... we we, we have this fear that we, that we do something that's productive. And so often the problem is, is we equate business with, with how much we matter. And that's not true. It's just not true that we equate business with how much we matter. Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. Let me say that again. Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. But to be a Christ follower, a God follower, a Jesus follower, there has to be, the Bible talks about a sustainable pace to life, a sustainable pace financially, a sustainable pace relationally, and in terms of schedule. And in a real sense, we see it, and I see it in Scripture as I've studied Scripture, it becomes an issue of faith, and that's the distance between your limit and your current pace. Uh, There is a relationship between our willingness to create breathing room and our faith. Did you believe, would would you believe that? Really is, and I'm going to prove it to you today because scripture has a lot to say about this. Breathing room is a part of God's design and is therefore part of his plan for us. Now, how do we know that? Well, we can go back all the way in the Old Testament, all the way back when God first created the nation of Israel. And when he first created the nation of Israel, they'd been in slavery for 400 years, they didn't know how to be a nation. They literally didn't. They, and they lived in a day, remember, in that day, it's something we don't relate to well. They lived in a day of pre-refrigeration. They lived in a day when, when you had to work all the time just to survive. That was, I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't work and, and, you know, I mean, how many of us every day have to get up and go uh, milk the cows and, and, uh, and pick up eggs? Not too many of us, you know, as part of our daily routine. How many of you had to build your own house? Uh, How many of you have to constantly go gather the firewood and, you know, do that all the time in our house? We don't have to do those type of things in our house. But the reality is that's the kind of culture this was when Jesus is addressing this. And so when Jesus established the nation of Israel, he instituted some laws designed to create space in their lives. So here they were, and they go, and they they begin the journey with Jesus and God, and God is, I mean, with God. And God begins the, the process of creating some laws for them. And one of the coolest things was, is one, you know, we know the top ten laws, right? They're called the Ten Commandments. And one of the very first laws that he created along with the laws of how you relate to one another is what? What's one of them that deals with, with creating space in your life? It's called the Sabbath. It's called the Sabbath. And the reason he was creating these laws, what was God creating his laws? To be harsh? No, he was creating laws so they would learn to trust him. They would learn to trust him. And so, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I love a God who one of the very first things he tells me is you need to take a day off. You're going like, well, we live in a culture where we have, when we were Americans, you know, we got Friday, I mean, Saturday, Saturday and Sunday off, you know. Well, this is not the culture that we're talking about here, okay? You got to understand the purpose and the intent of what he was talking about here. Jesus, matter of fact, said the Sabbath was made for man. So when God creates the laws, one of the first laws he creates along with the Big Ten and a lot of other ones is the Sabbath. He commanded them to take a day off. And once again, realize in a world when there was no refrigeration, this was risky. You could starve if you did not work every day. You could be be in trouble if you did not work every day. But what he said for them to do is he says at at the end end, end of one day, I want you at the end of the day when the sun sets, I want you to take a Sabbath a day where from then until the sun rises and the, the sets and then the very next day, I want you to take that 24-hour period off and I want you to do no work. And they're probably really going like, but, but, but. And he was going like, hey, trust me. Just trust me because I'm your God. And I want you to learn to trust me. It was a day of not getting things done. Now, the Sabbath, I have to admit to you, the Sabbath is, is hard for some of us. I have to admit that, that for many of us, many of you, Sunday is your Sabbath, is your day of not working, doing things. I, Over the years, it's real easy as a pastor just to kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I'm, you know, God called me to do something else you know, on that day. But the problem is, is that I've been sometimes good at taking the Sabbath and sometimes not good at taking the Sabbath. Let me tell you when I've not been good at taking the Sabbath. It's when I don't trust God. Because every time it says, God, you know, the Sabbath was about don't do anything in this period of time. And I'll fill in the gap. Trust me. So God first talked, talked about it in Scripture, and he makes the laws. He gives the law of the Sabbath. He says, hey, guys, it's important for you to trust me and take a period of time off to rest and to review and to renew your lives. A second, uh, a second command that he gave, and this is not, believe me, uh, I'm not going to be talking about giving today or next week or the week after, but it's the tithe principle. The tithe in, in that when he told them, he commanded them to, to tithe, uh, a financial, uh, a, a, a certain amount in their, in their lives. And, and once again, they did now have banks in this culture. So they didn't put the money away in the bank. Literally what they did with the tithe principle was that he was telling them, he says, what I want you to do is trust me in regard to your resources, not only in regard to your time. And what I want you to do is I want you to put aside 10% or some, cult, some parts, 20% of your income and put it in a jar, in a sense. And the purpose of this is to, is to support the religious institutions and the giving to the poor and all the things you're to do. I want you to do that. And so literally in the home of every Jewish person, there would be a place where they would actually take their money, 10% or 20% of what they had, and they would place it in a, place it in a jar and what they would do, they'd have it right there in front of them. And it was a visible sign of them trusting God and having financial margin in their life. They realized that whatever came in was not what was supposed to go out. He said, I need you to have this kind of margin in your life. You need to live with financial margin. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. This whole thing of living with financial margin in our life. And then there was a third, there was a third law, that, and this is a law, there's many other laws as well, but I was looking in, the, looking in the Old Testament and looking at how God established some things and what he talked about. And this was an interesting because this is not something you probably know about, or if you do, you probably don't know a lot about it, because I had to study up on it myself. And this was, there was another law he did called the law of gleanings, the law of gleanings, G-L-E-A-N-I-N-G, gleaning. And, and this was where we leave some margin, literally leave some margin uh, in your life and, and in Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10 this is what he says God says as he's establishing these laws for his people he established the Sabbath law He established the tithe law that established uh, uh, time margin, established financial margin. But then he establishes his other law, the law of gleanings, and he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, once again, remember, the people were in an agricultural uh, society, and everybody, this is what they did. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. The gleanings were the things that were left over, laid in the field. If you harvested and it was something that fell to the ground, he said, that's what a gleaning is. He said, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. And you're going, well, that's not very good stewardship of my time. I mean, I was supposed to go over two or three times make sure I got everything right because I got to be thorough. And so why in the world does God say this? Why does he say this? What about, what if? And then he, and he ends this little, this, this thing with a kind of an interesting, a little, um, I don't know, I'm going to, like, did he change the subject or something? Verse 10, he says, after he says this, he says, I am the Lord your God. He says, leave the gleans in the field. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, the reason you do this is because I want you to trust me because this is part of my plan. I am the Lord your God. You don't have to worry about picking up every little piece. And then he says it also in Deuteronomy. I thought it was interesting to hear what he says in 24, Deuteronomy 24. He says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheath, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And this is what he says, why were to do this. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. And I was scratching my head when I read that, and I'm going like, what? And then I thought what it says. You see, often we think everything's dependent upon us. Everything's dependent upon us. And when we do that, we do everything we can to make sure we don't miss anything. But he's kind of saying here this, and it's kind of a weird statement, but this is I'll make it because it's in Scripture. He's saying, so if we don't do all that we can do, God, just, you're saying you're going to multiply the work we did do? If we don't do all that we can do, if we're still, if we still do do our job, leave a few things in the field, you're going to multiply the work we did, we did did do. Yeah, that's what it's saying. God's saying, it's not all dependent upon me, upon you, it's dependent upon me. Is your God, trust me. And see, when we fear and when we go through life and we think we have to do everything, we have to always be trying everything and doing everything, our fear drives us in a sense to, to not build, have any margin in or any space in our life financially, any space relationally, and any sp- space in our schedule at all because it's all about us. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes along and communicates the same thing, he really does. He doesn't say it the same way, but communicates the same thing. Because in Matthew 6, uh, it's interesting, he says this. You know, it's kind of like almost callous of Jesus saying this sometimes, I think. He says this, so do not worry. You're going like, that's just me, though. I just worry, you know, I worry. But he says, so do not worry. Do not be afraid. Saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then he really puts the hammer down. He says this, for the pagans... You know the pagans are. They're people who believe in gods, but but not but not God. They believe in pagan gods, Jupiter and Zeus, and all those kind of great gods that nobody cares about. He says, "For the pagans run after all these things. That's what they do." And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you believe that? He's saying your heavenly father knows that you need them. And if your heavenly father knows that you need them and you believe that he knows that you need them, what should that mean? Do you trust him? And then he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He's going like, folks, it's not about fear. It's about trust. And the reason you live your life in an insane way is because you think it's all about you. And until you learn to trust me with your finances, with your schedule, and with your relationships, you will never have peace in your life. So, what do we need to do, if that's being the case, I think what we need to do is have what I call a time. Uh, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting, okay? Come to Jesus meeting, and it says it in in, in <clears throat> excuse me in Matthew eleven. It says this: Jesus says, "Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened." And let me add some words here: all you who are weary and burdened, all you who are stressed out, all you who are overwhelmed, all of you who think you have to do it all. says, come to me, all, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. And then the part we just kind of skip over sometimes, the next part, but it's the most important part. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you're going like, oh man, we got to take Jesus's burdens upon us. No, that's not what it's saying. What is Jesus's yoke? He says, It says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and and you will find rest for my souls. As we look once again, this is the God who, when he created the nation of Israel, one of the first laws he says, he says, guys, take a day off. Don't do anything. And trust me. Put aside a portion of your income and set it aside. So you'll have financial margin in your life. Because I want you to trust me. That's what he's doing. See, the conclusion that I come to is this. You're going to live your life within limits. All of us have limits. And if you don't set some limits, somebody else will set them for you. You'll have the limits that culture or fear drive you to. Or you can live in the limits that your heavenly father will lead you to. And see, what's at stake is peace, not progress, peace. I mean, when I confront people so often, they always make excuses like, well, I have to live like this, or I have to live, I don't have the luxury of margin, or it's in the nature of what I do. And I would ask you this, are you willing to look at what drives your fears and confront those fears? Because it's fears that's driving you to say that I I have to live because God did not design you to live with no margin in your life. Because I'll tell you what happens when you discover margin. There's a health scare or a tragedy at home or a bump in the marriage. And suddenly there's time. Because you spend time, because you all of a sudden realize I need to, and I cannot tell you how many people, how many guys, have come to me and talked to me and said, Pastor, I, I cannot tell you, you know, for years I've neglected my marriage and now it's going down the tubes, and what I wish that I, I'm trying to spend the time now necessary, but I wish I'd spent that time a long time ago. Or people come to the end of their their finances and they say, I wish that I had lived my life differently and I'd had margin built into my life so when I get to a tragedy in life, something that happens in life, then I don't have to live this way. And I cannot tell you how many, as I've grown older too, how many times I encounter younger people, which is a lot more people than it used to be. And as I encounter people in their twenties and thirties and forties and fifties now, um, and as I've seen people who've grown older who, who talk to me, you know, so for instance, you grow older, you can talk to more people about your, your age and you're going like, I wish, I wish. About how many wish that they could, if we could go back and live our twenties or our thirties again, how we would do life differently. How many people wish that they had not traded their health or their relationships for peace? They wish they'd traded for peace, not just progress. Because the progress they they thought about that was so important at that time, they find now it's a bad trade. But you can't go back, I hate to tell you that. Can't do it. And I'm not suggesting you not be productive, but be as productive as you possibly can, but do it within the margins of what God has designed you to be. See, in our attempts to get the most out of life, we run the risk of losing control of our lives. That's what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, four weeks. So here's your homework. Here's your homework for this week. Where do you need some breathing room? Where do you need some breathing room? Relationally, financially, schedule-wise. I have a feeling most of you have already done your homework because as soon as you saw the question, you knew exactly what it was. And if you don't know what it is and you're sitting around going like, ah, where do I need some breathing room? You can come and teach this. Okay because you're living like this perfect life where everything's balanced. You're in control. God's in control, actually. Where do you need breathing room? The first thing is to admit that you needed it. We're going to talk about how to deal with it in three areas of life, relationally, financially, and scheduling. Scheduling some breathing room, too, in your life. And what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to talk about that over the next three weeks. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness to us. We pray that you would enable us this morning to, um, in a real sense, to understand that you did not create us for this insanely crazy treadmill of a life that we so often get ourselves upon. It's not about us. If we could just learn that one truth. God, you have from the very beginning have wanted to teach your people that it's about learning to trust you. And even from the beginning with the nation of Israel, as you made laws for them to follow, you made them so that they would learn to trust you in every area of life. And God, so often what happens is that we go right along with the culture we live in. And we think we have to do everything and try everything and, and be involved in everything. And when we put our, get our kids involved in everything, and what it does, it causes this chaotic mess in our lives. And we never enjoy life. We have more resources than we've ever had. We have more choices than we've ever had but sadly god but sadly what happens is we have the inability to choose because of the fear we have help us today god to own up to our fears and to allow you to begin to make some changes not minuscule changes but wholesale changes in our lives and our schedules in the way we do with do our, what we do with our finances and the way we handle our relationships It will help us to have the kind of joy in our life and the kind of peace that you want us to have, God, that you created us for. Thank you once again, God, for your incredible love and your goodness. And God, has, in this study, that is, we not only just look at what your word has to say, that we will apply your word to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.